Army Signal Corps in Washington, D.C. The Signal Corps was the precursor of our present-day United States National Weather Service and the agency charged with making weather indications, as forecasts were called at the time. Three times a day, all 154 local weather stations telegraphed data about their regions to Washington, D.C., where it was carefully marked on maps and analyzed. The information included readings of the barometric pressure, temperature, humidity, wind velocity and direction, cloudiness, and precipitation. So complete was the information that the Signal Corps boasted it was correct 82% of the time. After examining that day's data, the staff at the Signal Corps concluded that there would be no real problem from either storm. The northern storm was losing strength, while the one to the south was on a path that would take it safely out to sea. The final indications for the following day were issued at 10 p.m. Saturday night. Fresh to brisk winds with rain will prevail, followed on Monday by colder, brisk westerly winds and fair weather throughout the Atlantic states. At the New York City weather station, these indications and the accompanying data were read by staff member Sergeant Francis Long. Long was a big man, possessed of unlimited energy and an outgoing, friendly personality. He was also a minor celebrity at the weather station for having survived three years of sub-zero temperatures and food shortages on an Arctic expedition. Long glanced out his window at a clear, moonlit sky dotted with bright stars. The weather station was located at the top of the nine-story Equitable Building, then one of the tallest structures in the world. Below him, the nighttime city sparkled and teemed with life. Gas and electric lights, horse-drawn vehicles, steam-powered elevated trains, and scores of pedestrians on their way home from dinner, concerts, and the theater. Many of these people were coming from a three-mile-long torchlight parade staged by the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Others headed up Fifth Avenue, where some of the country's wealthiest individuals had grand residences. To the east, Long could see the wooden masts and rigging of forty or fifty sailing ships nestled around the five-year-old Brooklyn Bridge. The Great Bridge, as it was called, was not just the longest suspension bridge in the world. It was proof that science could overcome any earthly obstacle. One commentator referred to it as a bridge to the future, calling it a source of joy and inspiration to the artist, perhaps the most completely satisfying structure of any kind that has appeared in America. In truth, New York City itself was considered a modern-day wonder. It was the financial and commercial hub of the United States, an emerging world center for art and architecture, the landing point of thousands of immigrants every day, and the place where the latest inventions, such as the telephone, were introduced to the public. French journalist Paul Bourget went to the top of the Equitable Building and was astonished by the city he beheld. Seen from here, it is so colossal. It encloses so formidable an accumulation of human effort as to overpass the bounds of imagination. On that Saturday night, of course, Sergeant Long's thoughts were much more practical. He scanned the sky for signs of trouble, then turned his attention to the work at hand. Based on the Signal Corps' information, and supplemented by their own last-minute readings, the New York City weather station telegraphed its indication for the following day to area newspapers. For Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, eastern New York, eastern Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Fresh to brisk southerly winds, slightly warmer, fair weather, followed by rain.
for the District of Columbia, Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia, fresh to brisk southeasterly winds, slightly warmer, threatening weather, and rain. That done, Long and the rest of the station's staff got ready to go home to observe the Sabbath. More data would be gathered before the official closing time of midnight, but essentially their work was finished. The same was happening at every other regional weather station and at the Signal Corps' headquarters in Washington, D.C. At midnight, the lights would be extinguished and the doors locked tight until 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. That meant that for 17 hours there would be no one monitoring the changing weather patterns of the nation. Long took the slow ride down to the street in the steam elevator, said goodnight to his supervisor, Chief Elias Dunn, and set off on foot for his home in rural Brooklyn. He was now just another citizen looking forward to his day off, and as unaware of the approaching monster as everyone he passed on the street. For during the long hours while the nation's weather stations were idle, the weather underwent rapid and dramatic changes. The northern storm picked up energy over the Great Lakes region and continued its march east, bringing bitter cold and snow with it. The southern storm did, as predicted, wander out over the ocean. But instead of staying there, it turned during the night and headed north. As it moved along the coast, it gathered up more and more moisture, and its winds gained velocity. The two systems would eventually join into one massive storm. When people woke on Sunday morning, they were confronted by an ominously dark sky filled with fast-moving clouds and gusting winds. Many people had an unpleasant sense that some sort of living and not very friendly creature had arrived to menace them. Such feelings would color the way they thought and wrote about the storm for the rest of their lives. A minister, in a small New Jersey village, looked up at the sky, then hurried indoors. I had the strangest of feelings, he would tell his parishioners that day. It was as if the Unholy One himself was riding in those clouds.